I am fantasy author Elle Penelope, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes at an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Friday, May 17th, 2019, and this is episode 14 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing, I have been plotting. Plotting is the week's best thing because um, I realized or I remembered how much I love it. And it feels like being in a book, like being a writer, you know, like this is the process as as kind of crazy and messy as it is. This is part of what I love about writing. So I am plotting book four of the Earthsinger Chronicles. Um, I'm actually plotting 3.5 and 4 at the same time. So um, the novellas are generally prequels to the next book. And um, 3.5 will be a direct prequel to 4, even though it takes place 500 years in the past. Um, It's going to explain some really important things. And the challenge is to make it necessary but optional. (laughs) You know, because I, I'm self-publishing all of the novellas in between the major books that are published by St. Martin's Press. And um, so, you know, there's a lot of people who may see the books on a bookshelf or and, and or however they're, if they're not on bookshelves, whatever. But um, they're not going to know that the novellas exist. I can't assume that everyone who reads the main books in the series are going to read the novellas. But they still need to be have an important place in the story, and they do, they do. But um, it's always a challenge. Um, that's why they're prequels, so that I can I can do that. And the people who do know about them and who do read the books and are like me, like if I read a book that I really like, then I go and try to find out everything I can about the author and whatever they've written. So I know, like Leslie, as a reader, would find these and be like, "Oh, there's more. There's prequels." But everybody's not like that. Um, and so it is a challenge. And then how much do I retell in book four of the, the really important things that, um, that happen in the novella? And I just went through this with book three in that I had written the second novella, book 2.5, at least the first draft. There is a, I don't know how clean it is. I haven't read it in a while, but I know exactly what happens. I've written a draft of it years ago. And, um, but in book three, one of the characters, from the novella, who's introduced in the novella, has to do a brief recap of everything that happened. So people who didn't read it, no. And people who did read it, hopefully they're not too bored during this recap. Or maybe it'll be a refresher. I mean, nobody's read it yet because it hasn't come out yet, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Um, so it, I guess every everything is still in the beginning stages right now. So I don't know how much um, you'll even need to know or need to recap in book four. And that I'm hoping that just having that knowledge gives you a, a, a deeper and richer experience of reading book four, but still an optional one. And um, so it's coming, it's coming along slowly. So I wanted to just go over how I approach the, um, the plotting of a new book. You know, it's the first brand new book I have written in years, like of any length, you know, I've written short stories and novellas in, the, in not in this series in the past couple of years, but um, well, I, I did write the first novella from scratch last fall. So, um, but that was only 25,000 words, I think. And, um, I don't know. The second novella is about 25,000 words. Also, this one feels like it might be longer, but I'm still, I'm still going through it. So my first day, um, of what I consider plotting. So I was doing a lot of brainstorming last week, but Monday I really started the plotting and, um, 
And so I, since it's the fourth book, and there are a lot of characters that have had POVs in the previous books by this point, um, and I'm, I'm closing in on who gets the POVs. And so how I approached it was, the first thing I did was I just listed all of the questions that I have um, about book four. Like, you know, there's certain characters, where have they been? What have they been doing in the interim? If we haven't, if we have seen them, if we haven't seen them, you know, in book three, um, so I listed out all the characters who either have had POVs or could potentially have a POV in this book. And I made a spreadsheet with, um, their, their character name, um, their theme. So previously when I start, you know, I actually had had this for a while. I have listed basically there's six main themes in the series. And I realized that all of the characters correspond to one or two themes. So I listed their theme. Then at the beginning of book four, what is their internal desire? Um, what is the internal conflict or the lie that they have? What is their, I have a column that I, it's mostly empty because I'm not sure if this is a real thing or not, but what is the plan um, to get their internal desire fulfilled? What's the lesson they have to, to learn in order to fulfill their inner desire? Then I list their external goals, the external goal, their external conflict, and then their external plan to fulfill their external goal. And then the type of arc that they have, if they're going to have an arc in book four, whether it's positive, negative, or flat. And so I have um, like 15, 4, 6, 8, 10, 13. I have 13 characters on this spreadsheet. Um, and it's you know not possible for all of them to get a POV. I don't, I mean, it is possible, but I, I don't want to write that kind of book. <laughs> so it, it became clear through this process that, um, you know, right now I have um, marked next to them, I've got six and a half. So mostly six characters that have some sort of positive change arc. Other characters have more flat arcs. They're not really going to change. They're already emotionally character-wise where they need to be. Um, and they're just going to be pushing things along. So the characters that have the, the positive change arcs, and one has a negative change arc, and I don't know if he's going to get a POV or not. Um, he hasn't had one in any of the books so far. So yeah, I don't know if he needs one. Right now I'm saying no, but we'll see. So that process really clarified for me, you know, who needs to learn something in this book um, and what they need to learn and just starting to think about how it fits into the things that have to happen in the book. And um, it all kind of comes back to theme. So I was thinking then I would maybe plot by the theme, but I had an immediate resistance to that idea. So for example, one of the themes in the book is redemption. And we've seen redemption by this point in as a theme in book two and book three for certain characters. And um, for certain characters, it's going to take them more than one book to find their redemption. Others have found it already previously. And so the redemption, I was thinking, could I do it as like a whole plot line is about that? But that doesn't seem to be making sense to me. Like I said, I had an immediate, like as soon as I had the thought, I was like, no, that's not right. So I'll have to honor that. Um, but I'm still not at the point where I know exactly you know, after a week of plotting where the pieces are going to be, who's going to be doing what, when. 
but that's coming. And it's it's just so amazing and refreshing and fun to have these realizations as I go through these processes and these discoveries about the character. Like um, Jasminda, who is the main character of book one, I realized what her transformation in this book has to be, you know, and it, I didn't go in knowing that. And it, it's there, like all of the stuff I feel like is there. Like, I really believe that this whole book exists in my subconscious as a fully formed thing. And so what I'm trying to do is tap into the thing that exists and and make it a reality. Um, so the next thing that I did the next day was to go through. So then I was like, okay, I needed to focus on book th- the, the third novella, book 3.5. And before I can really get deep into book four, because I had all of those questions that I had made, and some of them have their roots in this novella, in the prequel. So like I've said before, um, Whispers of Shadow and Flame, the second book in the series, has chapter epigraphs that very loosely tell the story of the third novella in a kind of a vague poetic way. So I went through those epigraphs and looked at what I had written um, because I had a basic outline and tried to make it more um, solidify it, you know, and ran into some potential issues, you know, like I tried to keep it vague so that I wouldn't write myself into a corner. Um, Even as I knew what would happen, you know, I never know what, you know, what really happens until I write it. So um, I got those details down and then put them into the story, grid, the story grid structure. So my basic story grid structure is the desire, the inciting incident, the progressive complications, the turning point, the crisis, the climax, and the resolution. And so that's kind of my initial high-level view of what a story is, a, a certain plot line or a certain subplot or whatever, what you know, that part of the story is. And I have something and every day I've kind of gone back and gone through it and tried to refine it because at the same time, I'm looking at these actions that take place. You can't divorce them from character and you can't divorce them from theme. Um, so character, plot, and theme all work together. And so while I'm working on the actual plot, it, it's like, okay, so what does this mean about this character? Who does this character have to be? Does that match what the little bits of that we've seen about her so far? And does that, does that feel right to me? You know, like, and I have, I came up with two options of who she is. Um, like, and I'm not talking about really characteristics. Like, is she kind? You know, I, I, I that's part of it. But like what her arc is, I guess, you know? What does she have to learn? I figured out what she wants, and it's also subject to change. But generally, what she wants has always been there. Like I, it's always been in the back of my mind, and it makes sense based on the backstory that is already at this point canon. And so, once I have the desire, then you have to have the wound. The wound is pretty obvious from previous, you know, previous books in the in the series. And so, it's just then, what does she do with that? Like that's to the core of this character. And so I, I know that and I know the actions and then it still has to, it still has to mesh up in a certain way, which is part of the challenge. And, um, so right now it's more like iterating, you know, iterating the things that I figured out, tweaking them and fleshing them out. 
So the third day I was looking at, you know, this the main character of the novella, her her lie, which is her wound, or the knot, you know, different ways of approaching character use different terminology. And um, so sometimes it's helpful for me to start in one way, like start with Michael Haig's character development. So he has a, um, like a belief, a wound. I can't remember all of them right now. <laughs> but, um, you know, he's got a format for, for showing the character arc and the development of the character. And then maybe move to a different book like um, Plot Versus Character by Jeff Gerke, which is one of the, an earlier book that I read that really resonated with me. And he calls that character problem the knot, you know, as opposed to the wound. And then K.M. Wyland and Creating Character Arts calls it the lie. And these are all the same idea. Um, and so what is that problem at the core that fuels the internal desire and the internal conflict. And so going through and finding um, that, so if I, then I moved into Karen Weiland's method where she does the lie, the truth, the wants and the needs. And um, most of these people are saying the same thing in different ways. And so when I get stuck or I, I go down one path, it's kind of like testing it with, with another another method. So if I, I, I fill out and I have spreadsheets for everything. So one of them is the Michael Haig method and I have a spreadsheet for that. And then um, I fill that out to the best of my ability at this point in time and then take another look at it through K.M. Weiland's method um, and do that. And then maybe in a few days, take another look at it through a different method of creating character. There's a great method in um, the back of the in the back of the negative character thesaurus, there is a reverse backstory tool slash worksheet, which I've incorporated into my master spreadsheet that is also really interesting and approaches it from a different way. So I've, over the past few years, developed this. At this point, I think it's an eight tab, eight or nine tab spreadsheet that has, each sheet has a different thing in it. So the first one is a basic um GMC goal motivation conflict sheet. Um, I've got the Michael Haig in there. I've got a save the cat outline form format in there. I have Dan Wells seven point plot structure in there. Um, so every time, not every time, but if I, if I come across a new method of something that I really resonate with, then I'll add it to my spreadsheet. And, um, it allows me to approach the problem from different angles and from different perspectives through different either plotting or character methods. And um, so I don't, I never fill out every tab of the spreadsheet. Um, usually the GMC, the Michael Haig um, characters, and then I sort of do the seven point plot structure, the Dan Wells system. And that's enough to get me started on a first draft. And then during revision, I'll go back to the spreadsheet and maybe fill out one or two of the other tabs and, and take another look at it. So because I know whatever I come up with uh, as for this plot is going to change, I don't try to be incredibly detailed about it. But these systems sort of spark my mind and and fill in gaps, you know. And so um, I looked at this character and, and her arc and what it's going to be, and I still haven't figured it out. 
But um, I did make some really interesting discoveries, which I'm super excited about. And, and that just, you know, just feel really fun. Um, so yeah, the next steps are just to keep reviewing and tightening it, keep looking at it from different ways until I can nail down, um, I think, after the high-level story grid um, outline, I go into a more of a save the cat beat sheet outline, which is instead of just um, six or seven points, it, it gives you maybe 10 or 12. And after that is good, then I can go into a more detailed outline. And that's where I start breaking things down into scenes. It's still at a high level and just in describing scenes that might still be a couple weeks away because uh, that's the last step. Um, and I might need some more moodling time. I might need some more just brainstorming time. Um, there's a couple of movies that I want to watch for their general plot structure and, you know, kind of character development structure that I might want to mine from, like ideas that have come to me during this during this process. It's like, oh, what if I, you know, for example, I'm thinking of doing a negative change arc. And um, so looking at movies with negative character arcs. Um, I've never read Wuthering Heights, and I don't think I've ever seen a movie of Wuthering Heights either, but that's on my list of things to watch. And I don't know whether I'm actually going to do a negative change arc. I was talking through it this morning in my mastermind, and as interesting as it is to me, it's more like it's interesting because I've never done it before. But I have a lot of uh, concern about about it fitting into the series that I've written. Like I, I need, I need a character to try to find redemption, but not ever be a villain. Um, at least this character. So a negative arc kind of presupposes that I'm, I'm turning her into a villain and then I'm going to redeem her. And it's more complicated than that, you know, but I'm still intrigued by negative character arcs. Um, and so I think I'll still just do the research and all of it goes into the file and it gets filtered out into something uh, in the future. So I do have to have input and input is, is always going to be important. Also planning to read some books. Not I'm not um, strategically reading anything. I'm just sort of reading around things I've been meaning to read for a while. For example, I finally read The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemisin which of course was fabulous. It's won all of the awards. I knew it was going to be fabulous, but I was also um, concerned that it might be like damaging to me. Like N.K. Jemison doesn't care about your feelings. Um, but it wasn't that bad. It wasn't as like depressing or whatever as I, as I thought it might be. Um, yeah, it was really fantastic. And she does really cool things with um, the narration. You know, a large part of it is, is in second person. I believe it's all in present tense. And looking at the reasons why, like it makes perfect sense. And the second person, POV, told by a narrator, like there's, you get that from the very beginning, from the preface, you get this narrative voice, not an authorial voice, but there is a narrator telling you this story. And because part of it is you. Now, when the narrator is saying you, the narrator is talking about the character, um, but it just it it all works together in a really interesting way that you know feels very 
purposeful and very meaningful. And, um, you know, I do think that choice of tense, choice of uh, the type of POV for second or third has to be like that. It has to be for the story. It has to make sense for the story. I primarily write in third person past tense for most of Earthsinger. My other series, my um, contemporary paranormal romance series is first person. I think it's present tense. And, um, but I do play around with in Earthsinger, in the Earthsinger books, different tenses. You know, the, the visions are in first person and the, the most of the narrative is in, is in third person. And I do have reasons for that, you know, like when you are in, for example, when you're in the queen's perspective, it's very, it's present, it's first person, it's different than everything else because of her experience. And so that becomes part of it. And I think, I think that's intuitive for me. Like I do think about it and I make a decision that feels right. You know, what am I trying to convey with the type of narration and, so in the fifth season, the choice to have a narrator is really interesting to me. And I've thought about that um, for other other things because it adds something. And it's so you're not in a deep POV, like a lot of um a lot of romance and a lot of articles and, and workshops and things talk about getting into a deep POV where and there's there's word choices that go into that and um, um you know a lot of craft things go into that. But this that book is not in a deep POV. It is in. It's not even omniscient. Is it omniscient? I'm. I have to go back and look. But I just remember while reading it, being struck by the choice of who is telling the story, who are they telling it to, and how is it being told. And that was actually one of the biggest lessons I learned from Juno Diaz. I took a workshop from with him at Vona um, in twenty thirteen. And literally the week after I came back home from that workshop, I wrote the first draft of Song of Blood and Stone in two days. I was so inspired. I was just brimming with inspiration. It was an amazing workshop. And partially because I sort of got crucified at my workshop. Like I had brought in this other story that I was working on, the first you know chapter, whatever we were workshopping, and he just tore it apart to the point where I have not touched that book in the past six years. <laughs> but it was a great experience because I learned so much. And um, it was like, it, that that particular book uh, was first person. And I guess it wasn't, you know, I was not as good of a writer then. And it wasn't very deep POV. And he just was stressing who was telling the story. If it's a first person narrator telling the story, well, who was she telling it to and why? And that, um, once you know that, you know, I hadn't thought about that before at that time. But once you know that, it informs so many of the decisions that you make in the story. And so um, eventually, one day, I will return to that story because I love it. I love all the stories that I have on the drive that haven't been finished. But um, now I do. I think about who's telling the story and why. Even if I, in this, where there's, you know... It, Earth Singer Chronicles, there's no narrator, it's third person. I try for deep POV, but it comes in and out. You know, and there's reasons why you want it to be very deep inside the person's head and then move the camera out for like a wide shot. Anyway, 
that is what has been keeping me busy this past week. I will continue to plot and discover and find things out and then um, start the writing. It's it's invigorating, though. Like I, I wish, and I might make a note for the future, that when I'm in this brainstorming plotting process, to try to clear my schedule. Like This would be the perfect time for a retreat, just to go away and focus on nothing but this for a few days. Um, right now, I do have like s- several work projects and a big one ramping up. And so I feel like I'm splitting my time, which is always the way. But if I can schedule it so that the next book that I plot I just maybe take a week off or go somewhere, check myself into a hotel or something, and then just give all of my mental energy to this. That could backfire. It could be extremely exhausting. But, um, and I, I know that I do benefit from time off, but like I feel like right now I might benefit more from just digging in, immersing myself in it completely, 100%, and then coming on the other side. So we'll see if we can make that happen one day. I hope that you have a wonderful week and I will talk to you next week. Until then, happy reading. For episode show notes and to learn more about me and my books, go to lpenelope.com. Subscribe to My Imaginary Friends wherever you get your podcasts and check out the video episodes on YouTube. Please leave a rating and review to help support the show.